Hi, and thanks for joining us today. We are now <clears throat> in our final part of Acts of the Holy Spirit series. Part four, the final part, climaxes with Paul's journey to Rome as he's being trialed as being a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. In the story of Acts so far, Paul is in Caesarea. He has already defended himself uh, before Felix and Festus, the two Roman governors of the province of Judea. In today's text, Paul stands in trial again, but now before King Agrippa. The title king represents position, privilege, and power. And so as we meet King Agrippa this morning, I want to ask you this question. Where do you have position, privilege, and power? I hold the position and title of the pastor of Chapel Hill. I even had people uh, in very casual settings call me Pastor Michael. And that position and title brings with it a certain amount of privilege and some type of power. And those things awaken in me a temptation to have pride. Even though I know as a pastor, as an elder, they are a servant leader in the church. But it's easy for the position to awaken the temptation of pride and entitlement. And so today we are going to explore the pride of position from Acts chapter 26. And maybe I'm preaching to myself, but I doubt it. Because what's your title? What's your position? Do they call you doctor? Or do they call you senior manager? Or creative director? Do they call you teacher? Do they call you mum or dad? Where does the pride of position rear its head in your life? King Agrippa comes from a long line of a famous and royal dynasty. He's the seventh in a ruling dynasty. His grandfather, who was Herod the Great, he was the man that sent the wise men to Bethlehem to find out about the birth of Jesus. You may know about this story in the Gospel, uh, the gospel of Matthew. The wise men come asking, where is the one born the king of the Jews? For we have seen the star in the east and we have come to worship him. To understand the importance of that question, we need to understand that the Roman Senate in that time voted to confer to King Herod, Herod the Great, the official title of King of the Jews. So when Herod the Great hears about the news of the one who is born King of the Jews, Herod immediately hears a threat to his throne. So he orders the murder of all the young boys. And this is not unusual for Herod the Great because he had ordered the murder of two of his own children who feared that they would rival him. Well, Herod the Great's son, who is Agrippa's father, continues this murderous life by King the Apostle James back in Acts chapter 12. In other words, King Agrippa comes from a family that will use whatever means necessary to preserve their position, to protect their privilege, and to extend their power. And that is our temptation today, to preserve our position in order to protect our privileges and to extend our power. So turn with me 
to Acts chapter 25 from verse 23. And notice how King Agrippa enters the room. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has positioned me about him in Jerusalem and he in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the empire, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definitive to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. Do you see the power? Do you see the show? Do you see the spectacle? This is an event made for reality TV. The king makes his dramatic entrance. There is an audience of the most prominent men in the city. How do you carry your position? Do you expect to be the center of tension when you enter a room? Do you expect people to address you in a certain way or show a certain kind of respect towards you? Do you find yourself subtly dropping your resume in conversation so that people can sort of work out and relate to you appropriately? The people who carry their position graciously are those who don't need to have their position to prop them up, to prop up their fragile sense of self. Those who carry their position gracefully, graciously don't use their position as a step ladder to prop up their fragile sense of self. But how many of us use our position to do exactly that? How many of you at work, out of your perhaps fundamental insecurity, are always using your position to validate your success and identity? How many of us parents, out of our fundamental insecurity, carry our authority in a heavy-handed way? Underneath the pride of position, you'll always find insecurity, a fragile identity, a poorly defined sense of self. Who would King Agrippa be without the title king? Who would you be without your title and your position? In total contrast to King Agrippa, we see in Paul something totally different. We see in the Apostle Paul the humility of faith. So let's see how the humility of faith is manifested in Paul's life. The first thing we'll see is that the humility of faith frees you to reassess your life. Let's look at Acts 26 verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul was saying, I was convinced that the things that I viewed and the things that I did are now wrong. Faith in Christ frees you to stop acting like you need to know everything, 
and to be right all the time, faith in Christ frees you to look back in your life honestly and admit that some of the things that I thought, some of the things that I've done are foolish or just plain wrong. And only faith in Christ can do that. Faith in self is always pretending like you've got everything figured out. But faith in Christ means I can say, man, I really got things wrong here. I really stuffed up here rather than keeping on blaming others. Faith in Christ makes it okay to reassess your life, to take stock of your soul, to look back and to be free to admit that the pride of position has made me think, act and behave in ways that are unhealthy, disorderly or wrong. Faith in Christ makes you reassess your life in a way that's not a crushing experience, but it's a freeing experience to make good and healthy changes to your life in obedience to your good Father. Which leads into the second point. The humility of faith allows you to repent and obey. Look at how this text puts emphasis on repentance. Notice what it says in Acts 26, verse 17. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And in verse 19, so then King Grippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Repentance is an expression of humility. Pride says there is nothing wrong with the way I'm living. Pride is expressed in justification, blame shifting and excuse making. But faith in Christ brings with it a humility to repent to turn away from our errors, our wrongs, our sins, and walk in a new direction with God. So the question that is put before us is, is where are you avoiding repentance? Where are you justifying yourself with your actions and your thoughts? Where are you shifting the blame, blaming others? Where are you making excuses? Faith in Christ frees you to stop justifying yourself, to stop shifting the blame and to stop making excuses. Faith in Christ frees you to repent and receive the gracious forgiveness of God to live and walk in a new direction. Notice that the text says demonstrate their repentance by their deeds because that is what repentance looks like. Just being remorseful for your sins is not repentance. Just saying sorry to God is not repentance. Those are precursors to repentance, but repentance is, in the beautiful words of John Calvin, true turning of life to God. Repentance is true turning of life to God. And that always results in fresh obedience, fresh humility, a fresh desire to walk in accordance to God's ways. Friends, won't you turn your life to God this morning? It's the humility of faith that frees you to do so. And finally, the humility of faith frees you to speak the truth. 
Speaking the truth is an act of humility because it's placing yourself under capital T truth. Look at Paul, Acts 26, verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Do you hear the patience? Do you hear the winsomeness and the gentle courage of Paul's voice in those verses? Out of the humility of faith, Paul very boldly speaks the truth of the gospel to King Agrippa, a king from a murderous dynasty. And how fitting is this passage to close with the dialogue of King Agrippa and the Apostle Paul, a, a juxtaposition of the pride of position and the humility of faith, face to face. King Agrippa's question of, would you, Paul, convince me to be a Christian? Paul's response is, I sure hope so. Whether now or later, what a powerful scene. In the face of King Agrippa, surrounded by an audience of the most prominent men in the city, Paul's prayer is that King Agrippa and those who are listening would come to faith. This morning's friends, the path to humility is open to all of us. And it starts by seeing the beauty of our humble saviour. It starts by seeing Jesus, who is the Son of God, God's heir, God's chosen king, as the one who did not regard equality with God to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself, being made in the form of a servant, in the likeness of man. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for what? Jesus did not humble himself on the cross as a good example of what humility looks like, he humbled himself because you wouldn't, because I wouldn't, because King Agrippa wouldn't, because even Paul wouldn't. All the pride, all the privilege, all the power in the world, that is what nailed Jesus to the cross. And now having died to sin, having given forgiveness of sin freely to all who trust him, that same Jesus exalted to the right hand of God. He reigns to give the gift of humility, the grace of humility to all of those who have faith in him. Do you want to finish this service with the pride that you started with? The gift and grace of humility is available to all of us through Jesus by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peace of Jesus, the people of Jesus are a humble people because the people of Jesus are a humbled people by the cross of Jesus. 
Let's not end this service with all the pride and self-importance we had, have this morning. Let's bring it all before Jesus. Let's repent in our time together. Let's leave all of that pride that we started with at the start of last week so that we can start our week, new week, more humbled, more free, more obedient, and more courageous. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge our pride. We acknowledge our fragile insecurity to protect our privileges. And we acknowledge our selfishness to want to grasp to power. Father, we acknowledge all those things is what nailed Jesus to the cross because we ourselves would not humble ourselves before you. It took the humility of Jesus to forgive our sins. It took the humility of Jesus to convict us of our sins so that we would finally bow our knees in worship of you, Lord. So we thank you for the humility of faith that Jesus provides to free us to reassess our lives. Father, I pray for those who are in a moment of being humbled and evaluating the new direction in their lives. Father, I pray that they would feel that this is not a crushing experience, but a freeing experience so that they would reorder their lives, make a new start in a new obedience to you, Lord. And Father, we pray, like an example of Paul, that the humility allows us to speak your truth freely. And so, Father, this week we pray boldly, courageously, that we would speak our testimony to the people around us that we might come in contact with. May we testify to your good news, to the gift of humility by sharing our story, your story in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.